Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. This is Newsroom Robots, the podcast where we explore the intersection of artificial intelligence and the news industry. I'm Nikita Roy, data scientist, media entrepreneur, and one of the many founders currently building their ventures at the Harvard Innovation Labs. On the Newsroom Robots, I'm excited to bring you insightful conversations with industry experts about how AI is impacting the way we do journalism. This week, I'm excited to kick off a special two-part episode with Alia Itzkovitz and Sam Gold. Alia is a manager at Financial Times Strategies, where she's consulted over 30 publishers across Europe, Asia, Africa, and North America on the critical shifts facing publishers today, including rethinking revenue models and understanding how to leverage AI. Prior to the FT, she worked at Data Miner, bringing AI technology to newsrooms and at Bloomberg as a journalist. And joining me as well is Sam, who's a data scientist at FT Strategies and has helped organizations in both the public and private sectors, ranging from tech to healthcare to consumer products, define their AI roadmaps and strategies. In today's episode, we discuss how FT Strategies built out an AI design sprint methodology in partnership with the Google News Initiative to help publishers identify and validate potential AI opportunities. We discuss all the use cases for AI that publishers came up with and how they're going about implementing their AI-driven solutions. Hi, 
Alia and Sam. Welcome to Newsroom Robots. I'm excited to have you both here today. Thanks for having us. So I was quite intrigued by the conversations I was having with you uh, both earlier about how you were creating earlier in around October of 2023, strategizing and building out this AI design sprint day for publishers to kind of help them move from talking about AI and discussing AI as just a strategy, but really getting hands-on and experimenting and implementing with AI. And you built out this entire day for around 20 publishers with Google News initiatives to really help them experiment with AI and really through this entire AI design sprint day, understand how it could help them out and what the technology looks like. So I really want to get us get us started there in terms of what this day looks like. What was AI design sprint about? So Alia, let's get started with you. Why did you first of all actually decide to do the AI design sprint day and what was its purpose? Yeah, so I would say the the goal behind the day was that as an industry, we've really been talking about AI for most of 2023, but then it's only a few publishers that are really beginning to leverage it in a meaningful way and actually implement AI-driven solutions, right? So the goal of this day was really to get people unstuck outside of their own heads and really to move forward because I think something that we find a lot is there's so many possibilities that people tend to get a little bit sort of paralyzed almost by the the whole host of options that are out there. So the goal of this was really to to show people in a much more tangible way what they can do with AI, have some fun, and also move more towards action versus just talking. Yeah, I was quite intrigued about that, what that entire day looked like. I wasn't there in the UK with you guys. So Sam, I want to hear more about how you actually were the one who planned and structured out this entire day. So how did you get publishers moving from just talking about it to experimenting it? What did that day look like? Yeah, so it was a very action-packed day. I think we had maybe six activities squeezed into this one day, as well as the in-person workshop. There was actually a two-week run-up period where we did a lot of scene setting and general education because we really saw it as very important to educate these teams, educate these businesses before they really got got stuck in with thinking about AI um, and specific opportunities. So we actually were fortunate to work with multiple experts from, from across AI, and they came and spoke to our group about AI strategy, AI technical kind of foundations, how to build and train models, um, and also responsible AI and, and how to govern experiments. So they really hit the ground running when they then arrived on the day. And the day itself was a, a very cross-functional endeavor. They brought representatives across their businesses. And that was a really kind of key principle of the day was to be collaborative, open, and really to break down silos across their businesses. So those were the people who arrived in the in the room. And that was kind of the education that they had before the day. And then the activities themselves were loosely based on a kind of Google design thinking, design sprint methodology, that kind of divergent and convergent thinking. So iterative steps of brainstorming, coming up with creative ideas, and then bringing that back to reality and thinking, okay, some of these ideas are maybe not really what AI can do right now, or maybe are not the most strategically relevant for my business. And so it was this iterative process of first identifying opportunities. And at that stage, we actually encouraged them very specifically to not think about AI, at least not too much. Obviously, they were coming to a day with AI in the title, AI is everywhere in our industry. So obviously, they were thinking about AI. But 
Nonetheless, we encouraged the participants to start by thinking about what opportunities and challenges are there in their business, then to think very broadly about how AI could be used to solve those challenges, then to collapse that down into a a specific use case idea. And then the rest of the day was about fleshing out that, that single use case. And for that, we took a very holistic approach. We were internally calling this day a non-technical hackathon because we weren't coding up this idea, but we were thinking about it more in terms of how do we mobilize the organization around this opportunity? So let's create a really detailed blueprint for this idea, which could go and inform build or buy decisions. Let's create an action plan with clear accountability. And I think maybe later we can talk about some of the specific next steps that we were seeing on those action plans. Let's also think about AI ethics and risk. And I'm sure there's there's some other pieces of that puzzle that I may be forgetting right now. But these were these were the different elements that we encouraged participants to think about throughout the design process. That's quite a lot. So starting off with just opportunities and challenges within the newsroom before even thinking about AI and then specifically what challenges could AI solve. And then they drilled down on a specific use case that they were able to flesh out. And throughout all of those, what kind of use cases were you generally seeing popping up? Was there a particular theme in which publishers felt like AI could really impact the most? Yes, definitely. It was actually quite fascinating for us because I was sort of buzzing around the room with my team throughout the day. And important to say that all the teams that were there, the 20 or so teams that Sam mentioned, they were all working separately at their individual tables And despite that, there was a lot of consensus around the ideas that people generated, which was really interesting to see. And I think there's a clear trend right now where most of the ideas were more text-based because generative AI is so top of mind right now for people that a lot of the ideas focused on language-based ideas. And what I mean by that is that I would say the most popular type of idea was something around the personalization or the reformatting of content. So we saw a lot of groups saying, how can we take an existing story, reformat it in a different way to serve the needs of different users? For example, how can I turn this story into a bullet point version? How can I turn this into a shorter version of the existing story? All of these kinds of things were extremely popular. After that, probably the next biggest category was around sort of sub-editing or checking functions. So the role that a sub-editor would typically perform in the newsroom, how can we make sure that before this article is published, we've applied our style guide or that we're just checking for basic errors before this goes out. So those kind of health check use cases were also very popular. So those were definitely the two biggest categories. They'd say those those two ideas alone made up about 70% of the ideas in the room. And then after that, we saw more isolated use cases that were more company specific, one or two that were more commercially focused, for example, around advertising, and then one or two that were quite specific to the challenges or needs of that particular business. So for example, we had a a news agency there and he was explaining to me that they received lots and lots of inbound emails about news in their country. So he was looking at a more internal facing use case of essentially routing emails to the correct departments within his company. So that was something a bit different, a bit particular to to the challenges that they face. But definitely those two areas I mentioned around repackaging content and checking content, very, very popular. 
I'm also curious, was there anything regarding image and video generation? Were people curious about that? Only a few of the groups that were looking at repackaging content were interested in text to video and saying, you know, can we create a short form video out of this story to better target younger readers, for example. That did come up, but there was less multimedia interest, probably because we tend to work more with print legacy publications. So there was a little bit less multimedia discussion on the day, I would say. Also, just an overview, was it mainly like print legacy publications, digital first? What were the nature of the publications? Yes, mainly print legacy with a few digital native as well. So we had a digital native publication from South Africa, for example. But then we also had several legacy print publications from Central Europe that have undergone digital transformation over the last 10, 15 years. I think also worth mentioning that there was a real spectrum of AI experience in the room. So some of the publications, it was probably their first time really thinking hard about how to use AI, at least in a concrete sense, and, and actually committing and planning to, to build out one of these initiatives. But for other publications in the room, they'd certainly built and deployed AI in their businesses in the past. But I think it was still valuable for everyone to have this day where they had time set out with their team to break down some silos and to really explore some new opportunities. That said, I think interesting that some of the themes that Ali was mentioning, yeah, yes, a lot of them were text-based and naturally using generative AI, but actually from the start of the whole process, we emphasized that AI is broader than generative AI in the newsroom. It's also non-generative AI, machine learning, and, and these slightly older models, and can be applied in very commercial senses or in ways to create efficiency around processes and operations. So it was quite reassuring, actually, that some of the publishers decided they were the most impactful opportunities for their businesses as well. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Introducing Wondersuite from bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. I also wanted to take a step back because you were talking about before they even came together on the day, which I think it's so important to talk about how to get a team together and think through opportunities. And that's kind of what I'm really learning over here. But before you even brought together all of these teams on the design sprint day, you had basically had like an orientation, it seems like, on AI, getting them all to the, the same level and talking about ethics and what the opportunities are, what AI looks like. Could you actually break that down a bit more for me, Sam, in terms of like, what exactly were you focused on and how were you helping those publications who probably weren't experimenting with AI to a level and bringing them to a level where they could come to the AI design sprint day and think about opportunities with AI? 
Sure. So in terms of format, what it looks like is bringing in what we would call inspiration speakers from across the industry who are able to talk very credibly about their own experience using AI. And as you mentioned, there was this real spectrum of topics that we covered, really a crash course in going from not really understanding AI, certainly being aware that it's a trend and feeling the need to grasp it, but not necessarily having had the time to really get into that field. It's so fast moving, there's so much going on. It's also just a nebulous term in itself. And so grounding the participants in what they needed to think about as kind of top priority for the session was very important before we before we arrived on the day. So we had the speakers and then we also provided educational materials and structured frameworks. And I think the point of the of the latter is that simple but well-structured frameworks are really helpful for for breaking down these these complex areas and then educational materials are something that they can actually turn around and share across their business so not everyone could join those sessions but then they had an enduring set of materials that could help bring the other teams up the same curve and so the first session was really around thinking strategically around the AI opportunity. So we delved into the kind of timeline of AI developments, why it's become such a hot topic in the last year or so with the the rise of ChatGPT, but what does that really mean, the rise of generative AI and and why that's relevant for for the news industry. We also spoke about different business models and how to think, for example, about the differences between using AI for efficiency as the main strategic goal versus using AI maybe as a product differentiator, some interesting features being added to your platforms to make it more of a destination for users, two very different strategic approaches and worth kind of exploring those with the various senior team members that we had in those sessions. And then we moved into kind of looking under the hood of AI. So we had a session with one of our inspiration speakers who was from Google, who spoke to us about the inner workings of AI models, how different models relate to each other, how they can be trained, that kind of machine learning lifecycle process. Um, and that was really useful for understanding some of the practicalities, like do I need to have my data in order? What infrastructure do I need? What are some of those expectations even for enabling some of these use cases? The third session was around responsible AI. So we always saw it as very important to bring AI ethics into the conversation as soon as possible. We even did that, to be honest, just in who we invited to the design sprint. And what I mean by that is that having a diverse team of cross-functional representatives is a way to design more robust solutions and safer solutions right from the start. So there's not too narrow thinking even in the design process. But then we also had some experts on responsible AI with with a capital R talking to us about the specifics of what that means, how to bake in some of these principles into design. So for example, thinking about the importance of human in the loop as a risk mitigation um, and how to think practically about that. And then finally, when everyone had been sufficiently trained and was raring to go with designing and experimenting, we had our fourth session on how to run and manage experiments. And so this was hearing from an expert who has who has managed their own portfolio of experiments, talking to us about different ways to set up those teams and really to get the ball rolling for the, the first activity of the actual design sprint workshop. So this is where we actually started doing that opportunity identification exercise that I mentioned earlier, so that people arrived on the day with with lots of ideas in mind. Cool. I really like that whole breakdown. 
especially the emphasis on like understanding behind the hood of like what the model works and how it works, because that really helps people understand the data aspect and how you need to build a proper data infrastructure. I'm really curious, what what are the next steps you were talking about now? They all have an action plan. All the publishers have an action plan of implementing AI. What do those next steps look like? Yeah, so on, on the day, we encourage them to think about capa- what we would call capabilities. So the people, the technology and the processes that need to be in place to really sustain this initiative beyond the excitement of the design workshop, but actually to make it a reality in the business. And we see those capabilities as the kind of the key ingredients of an action plan there. And then we also encourage the participants to think about what they needed to do in the immediate term and what they needed to do in a, in a medium and a longer term. And importantly, who would be responsible for that in their business? I think it's too easy to come to a design workshop with loads of ideas and maybe not to stick your name or someone else's name on making that idea a reality. And so this was a really important end activity of the day to make sure that, that it was really a reality. So that's kind of the process. But I think maybe Alia can talk to you about the specific next steps that we were seeing from that day. I think, again, there were some pretty clear commonalities, actually. And as Sam mentioned, there was a really wide range in terms of the background of these publications. You know, some some were certainly better resourced than others. Some had full AI teams, whereas some were just beginning to explore this area. That said, some very common trends in terms of what they were saying is going to be the next step. And a really key one is getting buy-in from the rest of the organization, securing the funding, asking people for money, right? And to do that, there's an interesting conversation that we are beginning to have now with a lot of publications around how can I make the case that this work I'm doing with AI is going to actually bring about ROI. So that return on investment question is, is quite key. And it's interesting because usually it falls into one of two camps, right? So usually AI solutions are either saving you time and therefore money, hopefully, (laughs) not always, but that's one group. And then the other group is AI is enabling innovation, which is potentially creating some new revenue stream that you didn't have before or augmenting an existing revenue stream. So it's usually one of those two cases, saving money or making more money. And then the challenge is to show that the project that you want to launch is going to have a direct effect on that. So that's often the challenge that people we work with are facing, that their organizations are saying, we want to do something with AI. We think this is a really cool idea, but sort of show me the money, show me the impact. So one of the areas we worked on, as Sam mentioned, was how are you going to track the impact of this? Who's who's going to be responsible for this as well? and making sure that it broadens out beyond just the people that were there on the day at the design sprint. Because for some of the smaller companies, we basically only had, in some cases, one, maybe two people there working on the idea. So they now need to go and convince the rest of their organization. And often the people that we work with are sort of self-selected, already interested in AI, already see the potential of AI. So now they need to go and convince the rest of their organizations who might be more skeptical. And then the other big area that we saw a lot was the question of buy versus build, which I'm sure you discuss a lot with people in in this industry is with certain ideas, like some of the ideas I mentioned that a lot of different people are having at the same time right now, there are many new tools coming to market and people are thinking, oh, is this something that 
someone else's building. So then we don't want to waste our time and money building it if we don't have to. Or is this something really unique to us that we are best placed to build? So actually, I don't know if if Sam mentioned this already, but one additional way that we tried to facilitate creativity at the beginning was asking people, are there processes that you want to optimize? Are there new areas you want to innovate in? Or are you in possession of some interesting data? And that data set itself can be the jumping off point for your idea. So it was more in those cases that building something felt more appropriate. But for a lot of the other ideas I mentioned, we were getting questions on the day like, do you know if there's something out there that does this already? So that was interesting. And were people more leaning towards then buying those AI tools, you feel like? Actually, I think at this stage, and maybe because the practical emphasis of the program, more people were thinking in the build mindset, which was interesting for us to see, especially given some of the ideas weren't perhaps that complex. And some of the ideas are tools that exist out there in the market. But it was on some people's radar, as I said, that they began to wonder, should we actually invest time and money in developing something? Because it might not be a bespoke solution. We have a few rules of thumb typically for this process, which I think maybe contribute to the the theme of building at this stage, which is one, there should never be a big investment in some tool or some massive implementation if a user need in a very broad sense hasn't been validated. So if, if it's really just an idea on paper or post-it notes at this stage, even with all the rigorous thinking and planning behind it, if we haven't truly assessed that need from a, from a reader, from an audience or from an internal, internal user at the business, we generally wouldn't push for large-scale investments in, in building these products. And also, I think, as I'm sure you're, you, you talk about with your guests and you know firsthand that doing AI from a building sense is very exploratory, iterative, experimental. And so that can be an interesting process in itself, uncovering new learnings and maybe pivoting in different directions, but could also mean that running those small proof of concepts is actually not too expensive. And I think maybe this is the the final point on this, which is that generative AI is more accessible typically than AI of the past in that you don't need an expensive process to go and label and clean thousands and thousands of data points and to spin up heavy infrastructure to train those models. But instead, you can use a pre-trained LLM, for example, and, and just start playing around really with with that use case. And so I think that maybe contributed to the whole build mindset that, that we were saying. Yeah, that's actually what excites me the most is about how accessible generative AI is. As you were saying, create these like proof of concepts, easily rapid prototyping that first you can identify there's a like validate your users' needs before you go in and go full on into this huge investment into building the tool. And I really like that point, Alia, that you brought up about focusing on ROI and helping talking about that metric, especially in terms of how the AI products could help out with what the the return on investment would be as a result. I also wanted to get back to you, Alia, because you've been working, both of you have been working with with different publishers. And I wanted to get like a board's eye view in terms of how AI is being thought about and approached with among the publishers that you're working with right now. How are they thinking about AI strategy for their business? Yeah, it's interesting. I think that often as an industry, we tend to approach new technologies from a position of loss aversion and thinking 
how can we not lose? This is coming. How can we make sure it doesn't wreck our business model? How can we make sure that we limit the damage? So I think that's quite a defensive mindset that we tend to have as an industry. And I'm and I'm not saying that's completely wrong because I think we have a lot of PTSD after so many rounds of forced transformations. And there's definitely that feeling, right, of fool me once, I forget the expression, but fool me twice, shame on me or whatever, because everything that happened with the, the dawn of the internet, giving away content for free, all of this is like fresh in people's minds. And many of the key decision makers today lived through that entire disruptive era. So they're very attuned to this. And I think that contributes to why when generative AI really burst on the scene last year, there's been a lot of concern and the conversations often with clients we talk with in Europe are around the disruptions that this could cause for their business models. So that's just the background of how how some people come to it. But something that we saw at the design sprint was actually that there is also a lot of enthusiasm. So all of those concerns are there and there are also very valid concerns around information quality. We actually did a sort of word cloud exercise at the beginning of the day where we asked people, what are your concerns? And it's a lot of the things that you probably hear with many people you speak with. There's there are a huge number of ethical concerns, right? And in the industry that we operate in, there's a big responsibility on us in terms of the quality of the information, the validity of, of those facts. And heading into an election year and a lot of big democracies next year, that's that's top of mind for people. So there's that side. There's also the business model side I mentioned. And then there's the side of job loss. What does this mean for my employees? Are people going to be out of a job? So all of those concerns are there. But then we also redid that exercise on the day in terms of what are you excited about? And it was great to see because someone, for example, had written garbage tsunami at the beginning of the day. And then at the end of the day, they wrote opportunity tsunami. I think like Sam said, people are realizing how accessible generative AI is and how much that opens up a huge number of possibilities for them. And it also kind of helps to mitigate that classic problem that a lot of news publications have of, you know, we can't invest in as many developers, we can't invest in as much tech as we want to, because we can't pay these people the salaries that they're asking for. So actually, a lot of these new technologies and and tools help put this right at your fingertips. And I think people are realizing that there's also a big opportunity there. And I'm also curious, because you're based in the UK, and I'm very interested in terms of like, Europe is usually ahead in terms of adopting all of these technologies, thinking about like you're having the EU AI Act and all of this different, they're way ahead in terms of adopting and thinking about AI. So have you been seeing any regional differences as well? Any insights there on how publishers are approaching AI? So I think the concerns are a bit different based on region. Actually, we were talking with Charlie Beckett from Journalism AI after one of his recent trips to Asia. And he was saying that the the narrative in the West is much more focused on this question of intellectual property and who, who owns this content. Whereas in Asia, people are much more concerned around the issue of fake news and is this information correct? So that's interesting and probably ties back to the fact that subscription models are, are more successful in the global North in general. 
But I think that's that's an interesting difference there. And I think actually the most recent report from Journalism AI is quite interesting in the way that it highlights the global picture of AI, because I think too often it's just sort of bigger, better funded companies that you hear about. But actually, as Sam was saying, that Gen AI has kind of put the power back in people's hands and you're seeing some really interesting use cases from developing economies as well. I think some of the other themes just on that global kind of north-south divide, just to just to kind of echo Alia's points, de- definitely seeing a difference in approach, but also drawing from that journalism AI work with, with Charlie Beckett at LSE and his, and his team, worth noting that although there is this accessibility of generative AI, there is still structural limitations, especially in the global south, as to how how easy it is to work with these technologies. And I think the themes that his report was highlighting is around infrastructure and the challenges of still working with these technologies and, and working with data and also political challenges as well. There is there is a difference in what the aspirations are, but there's also a difference in how easy it is to realize those aspirations. But I suppose just on a positive note, we are seeing some really, really exciting work coming out of places like the Philippines. There was a really interesting use case that we saw the other week with some generative AI, virtual avatars, these kinds of things which are really at the cutting edge. And of course, other companies are investigating with these use cases, but still some interesting work coming out from from all over the globe. What was it? It was the virtual avatar? Virtual Avatars, Philippines publication, I think it was for sports reporting. But no, it's true though, like in the sense that sometimes when you're forced to innovate, you're more inclined to innovate, right? So even just thinking about smaller newsrooms, like Sam and I attended a conference last week where we heard from this really tiny local newsroom in the UK that had found a way to build a model that helped them automate one of the key sections of their newspaper, which hilariously is to do with sheep auctions in their local town in England. So it's just that case of sometimes smaller newsrooms are a bit more scrappy. They have fewer hoops to jump through sometimes to actually get projects off the ground, right? But then the flip side of that is also that for the building of in-house models, which is often very resource intensive, can be very expensive, that I'm concerned that that might create division between haves and have-nots. And I'm particularly concerned because I'm just really passionate about information quality, information accessibility. And when a bunch of top publications ban ChatGPT from crawling their websites, I completely understand why they did that. But that also means that what's feeding those public models, probably lower quality information. So that's kind of something that keeps me up at night. (laughs) It's a good point that you brought up over there. I've been been thinking about it quite a lot because I go under ChatGPT and Bing and all of these places. And if you ask anything related to the news, basically, you don't get it anymore because of that barrier. So what are people going to be getting as information? Because that's still going to be a mainstream platform the search and the generative AI search that they have there. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's quite concerning, I think, because it goes back to the same problem that we have in the news industry in general with subscriptions where people self-select sort of unquote quality information, people self-select whether or not they think it's worth paying for. And then you get a situation where people have different realities based on what they're reading. And that's quite dangerous, I think. Absolutely. I think... I think that's an area to explore a lot more and think about and talk more about what compensation would look like for publishers so that we still create a healthy information ecosystem, but just 
don't just eliminate news altogether from there. And I think that's still to be explored in terms of like what the future looks there. That was Alia Itzkovitz and Sam Gold from FT Strategies. Join us in our next episode for an insightful discussion on the emerging prospects of multimodal AI and the role of AI agents for publishers. Stay updated with the Newsroom Robots podcast and sign up for our newsletter at newsroomrobots.com. This podcast is made possible thanks to the Harvard Innovation Lab's Spark Grant. I'm Nikita Roy, and this is Newsroom Robots. Subtle results, still you, but with fewer lines. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia Gravis or Lambert Eden syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? Then it's time to make your move to the UK, the nation that has more tech unicorns than France, Germany, and Sweden combined. The nation that was third in the world to have a $1 trillion tech sector valuation. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK.